We have been asking that question how long as we have looked at the book of Habakkuk and I find it ironic we had to wait an even another week to get to this part of Habakkuk. So we have had to wait and the message of the book is waiting and trusting in God. So God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? As we come to chapter 3 of Habakkuk this morning, we will learn Habakkuk's response to everything that he has learned in his prayer and his conversation with God. When we talk about Habakkuk, I want to ask you about this, an attitude adjustment. Now, when you see this slide and you especially see the girl with the attitude, I I think uh, most of you think about how you would give a brat a attitude adjustment. And isn't it true that there are some children who are at times bratty and they're very selfish and very whiny and they need an attitude adjustment. Uh, And the old school way to do that was a spanking, uh, either with the hand or with an instrument, a switch or something, you know. Uh, You all are old enough to remember those days. They weren't too long ago when that's how an attitude adjustment happened. Uh, Nowadays it's more... Uh, time out, taking things away. But still, the goal is to change that attitude of selfishness and whininess and change it to one of a different perspective and look at life differently and understand really what's going on. You need an attitude adjustment. But it doesn't always have to be discipline that helps us to see things differently. We can have an attitude adjustment when we see something or experience something that does allow us to see our life in a different way. And this has happened to Habakkuk. He has turned his attitude around completely, a 180 degree turn, going one way, turning around completely in the other direction. And what changed his attitude was the time he spent in prayer with God. You remember, he was asking God, how long am I going to have to pray? How long am I going to have to see violence? How long, God, is it going to be before you do something? He was blaming God for all of the problems in his nation. He was blaming God for being tardy and acting and doing something. He was whining. He was complaining. He felt like he was righteous and that he had a complaint against God. This is what he was doing Until God showed up, not with an explanation, but simply showed up and told him what he was going to do. And his attitude changed completely. In chapter 3, his attitude isn't now how long. Now he is saying, I stand in awe of your deeds. That's a complete turnaround, isn't it? He was complaining, how long? God, you're not doing anything. It's your fault, God. Now he says, Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. I want us to see what changed Habakkuk's attitude and also learn from how now his prayer of praise, that is chapter 3. And how he thinks about God now. One thing that changed his attitude was that he stopped looking at his circumstances and he focused on God. 
right there is a simple lesson that can help us many times in life. We look at our circumstances as they change from day to day. And it's so easy to get sucked into what's happening in the moment, especially when the moment is not pleasant. And the moment is filled with uncertainty or it's filled with pain. It's filled with sorrow. And we get focused in so much on it that that's what our attitude and our emotional state is. It's one of, of hurt and anger and suffering. And we don't step back and look at the bigger picture. I mean, if you think of a painting, what we're doing in those moments is we're focusing on one little dot. Or in our electronic age, one little pixel of the picture. And not seeing all the rest of it. Maybe that one dot, that one pixel is black and it's bleak and it's dark. We're not taking a look back at all the nuance, all the color, the whole picture. I mean, isn't it true that you could have a painting of a beautiful scene, but one little section of it, if you just focused on it, will look ugly? When you look at the whole picture, it's beautiful. So he needed a different perspective. And that perspective was focusing on God. And when he focused on God, I, I give Habakkuk credit, credit. When he was down and when he was concerned and when he was worried, he went to God. That's what we should do. He, he, went, he knew who to go to. He went to him. He talked to him. And in talking to him, God changed his perspective. And in talking to him, it was closer to God. And the closer he got to God, the farther back he got from his focused in on his circumstances, and it changed his attitude and his outlook. He learned this. We saw this in chapters 1 and 2. God is always present, and God has a plan, so we need to trust him. Because remember, we are one person or, or one church, or one nation, or one group of people in a one small part of time. And God is eternal and has a plan that he began and will end and complete. And we're just one little part of it. And we don't understand how all the parts fit together. So in those moments when we're confused and it doesn't seem like it's working the way it should, we know that God's still there. He hasn't left us. Know that he has a perfect plan and trust him. That's what we learn in chapters 1 and 2. And that's what Habakkuk learned when he met God. But now he comes to chapter 3. And now this is his response to what he has learned. And he has a prayer. And this is the first two verses of chapter 3. His prayer. In fact, that's how it's titled. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shiganoth. So this is not only a prayer. It is a song. It's a musical composition. I would love to know what that tune is, Shiganoth, or what a musical term that is, to know whether it's a fast song, a slow song, a song to be played in this way. Of course, those details are not known to us, as they aren't known to us when we look at the Psalms and we find musical instruction and musical terms there. So it was a prayer, but it was also a song. As we'll see at the end of it, he also gives musical information so that this song, this prayer, can be used in worship. So think about it. This is the setting of this chapter. 
It's meant to be used as a song, as a worship song. I imagine especially when times are difficult, this is the song to sing. Isn't that true in your life? You have those moments when you almost have a go-to song. You know there's a certain song that God has laid on your heart in a certain time in your life that when you're down, you can sing it and it will bring you up. I mean, I think this is the point of what Habakkuk is doing. He's learned and now he wants to share. And this is the song that he shares with us. It begins with a prayer. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. The short prayer, it has three parts. He wants to see the same work that God had done for the Israelites in the past. He wants to see it again. And he wants everyone to see it, not just the Israelites, but the nations, the world to see it. And when God does it, he's praying that God will be merciful to his people. Because remember, what God has said to Habakkuk is, I'm going to destroy your nation, Habakkuk, because of its sin. And I'm going to use the nation of Babylon, who's worse sinners than you are, but I'm going to destroy them as well because of their sin. So God's message to Habakkuk has not been a comforting one in the sense of it's all going to be all right and I'm going to bring uh, peace and your people are going to turn back to me. It's not that. His message has been very harsh. But Habakkuk realizes that this is part of the plan. And he probably realized it's, Justice, it's deserved. The nation of Israel had been wicked and had been wicked for hundreds of years. So Habakkuk prays, God, in this time of judgment, also be merciful. So Habakkuk is praying for God to show up. To show up for his people. To show up for the world. To do miracles. To do mighty acts. And as he does all of that and displays his power and his majesty to be merciful in his judgment. Uh, There's one part of this prayer that stands out to me that we need to remember. that God's the same today as he was in the past. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God who parted the Red Sea is the same God that can take care of your problems and change your life. The God that made the sun stand still. The God who raised the dead. The God who created this world. Don't we often think that our problems are too big for God or that our life and its chaos cannot be controlled by God? How silly that is. When the God who spoke the universe into existence is the same God that we love, we serve, we worship, who saved us. If just by his voice he can create all of this, don't you think he can take care of us and take care of our lives and the problems of our lives? Again, it's the wrong perspective when our problems seem so huge and our God seems so small. The opposite is true. The problems of our life are minuscule compared to the bigness of our God. We should always keep that in mind. Never read the Bible and think, oh, that just happened in Bible times. You know, the miracles, that just happened back then. They've never happened today. Well, why not? Same God, 
God can do the same things now as he did back then. And that's what Habakkuk's prayer is. As we continue reading this chapter, it's allusions to events. They're not specific events. I mean, you read it and you say, what's he talking about? But also I want you to listen and say, well, that kind of sounds like when Joshua was fighting and the sun stood still. It kind of sounds like when the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the promised land. It kind of sounds like when God parted the Red Sea and the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. So he alludes to those big events in Israel's history. And he's saying, God, do the same today. That should often be our prayer, I think. Think big, because our God is big. And as we pray, don't pray for little things. Pray for God to do big things. The things he did in the past, do them today, God. Not only for ourself, but notice he's asking for the whole world to see it. That's one reason God displays his power and his glory. So that everyone can see it. That's his prayer. And often should be ours as well. God is always present. That's the first thing in the the main part of the song that we learn. And I want us to think about this uh, for a minute. An an illustration may help us understand what we're going to read. Have have you ever uh, uh, been at school as a child when it was substitute teacher day? And uh, you, you know when... The substitute is there. Has anyone ever been a substitute teacher? Oh, I, I pray for you. And, and I, God bless you. Because I know when substitute teacher is there, the class just does not care that you're there whatsoever. You could say whatever you want, they're not listening. You could tell them to do whatever you want, they're not going to do it. You're not the real teacher, so they're not going to pay attention to you. So think about that, and then compound it by the playground, because that's a place of chaos in general, even when the teacher is there. So imagine that substitute teacher day, and it's playground time, it's recess, and things are getting out of hand. You know, the, the, the kids are trying to climb out of the playground. You know, they're, they're not following the instructions that are written, right? Posted right there at the playground. Imagine that. They're climbing where they're not supposed to be. They're running where they're not supposed to be. They're playing unapproved games. They're playing tag. Oh, my goodness. They're touching each other. And they're doing things that aren't approved. It's chaos. Maybe even something they really shouldn't be doing. Maybe the bully now is taking control of the playground. The bully's taking the ball away. The bully is using foul language, is putting people down. Like I said, things are out of control And if you're a little kid, there could be some apprehension and uh, terror. I mean, you're afraid and you're wondering what's going to happen. Now imagine this then. What's going to happen next is the principal is coming to the playground. And you can see the principal coming. And you're the kid on the playground. And when you see the principal coming... You know, things are going to change. I love this picture. Look at this teacher. This teacher has the teacher pose. Look look how she's standing. Look at how she's focused on that child. I don't know what that child did, but she is getting something from that teacher. And notice the other students are watching now. The teacher has shown up. The principal has shown up. And now the chaos is coming to an end. Things are going to be set right. And it's because... The principal has showed up. Now, what does that have to do with Habakkuk? I want you to think about that when you hear what he says about God 
showing up. And when he shows up, there's no mistake who he is and how powerful he is. I think this is Habakkuk's point. He was in a place in his life where it seemed like God wasn't listening and it felt like God had let things get out of control and all there was was chaos and violence and nothing made sense. But he was reminded that one day God's going to show up. And when he shows up, there's going to be no mistake about it. And he is going to set things right. That's going to happen in history in our future when he sets everything right. But it also happens in our personal lives or in moments of time. When he shows up and now the chaos is gone. And the fear of the circumstances is gone, but we'll see a different kind of fear. I mean, when you're on the playground, the principal starts coming across from the school. There's some fear, okay? So when God shows up in all of his glory, there's some fear. And let's read that now and see what Habakkuk talks about. He says, God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Do you get the picture? Here is a powerful God displaying his glory and his brilliance. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of cushion in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Again, when he's showing up, it's not everybody's, oh, this is relaxing and this is, oh, just take it all in. This is God displayed in his glory and his power. And when he comes, everything really in a sense has to get out of his way. The whole earth has to get out of his way. And everyone sees that he is here. This power of God that's displayed in this song, and at times is displayed as God interacts with the universe he has made and the people he's created. But at other times it's almost hidden, isn't it? We don't see God displayed in this way, but it doesn't mean he's not this God. It just means that he's chosen not to show his power in this way. We learned three quick things from just these verses. God's power is universal. I mean, excuse me, his presence is universal. Look again, his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His glory, his presence is all over the place. His presence is also terrifying. I mean, I guess as it should be. Again, imagine us. You know, flesh and bones and small and weak. And when God shows up, it's obvious that he is much more powerful and that he is much bigger and that he is the one in control. It should bring a bit of fear. In fact, we see just, here's just a few examples in the scripture of how Moses was terrified at God's presence. When Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John, on the mountain of transfiguration, and they saw a glimpse of his glory. They were terrified. Uh, Creation here in these verses tremble when God shows up. It, It is a terrifying thing. 
Like I said, think of the playground. When the principal comes across the playground, it's terrifying. You don't know what's going to happen. God's presence is everywhere, and it can be terrifying, not because he is a capricious God or an evil God, but it's terrifying because of the vast strength of his power. And because we are weak and human, to stand in his presence brings us to our knees. But that tells me, though, this is the power that's behind us when we're facing problems. This power, his presence. And that's the other thing we learn in the rest of the verses, how powerful God is. I want to use maybe a different illustration, but the same type of thing. Think about a superhero movie for a moment. And every superhero movie has this moment where there's the big battle towards the end of the movie. And they are a little bit different because not every movie is exactly the same. Sometimes uh, maybe the sidekick starts the battle and starts to have a little bit of, of success or something. Like there's a little mini battle that starts and there's explosions and all this. And maybe even think it's turned for the good guys. And then the bad guy comes back with more f- ferociousness and, and starts to turn the battle. Now the bad guy is winning. But finally, at some point, the superhero shows up. And when he shows up, there may be explosions, there may be destruction, uh, there may be cars flying everywhere, but he, the hero, is going to bring an end to this evil and this villain, and he is going to win the day. It's going to happen. And these next verses show a lot of destruction, but also because God is bringing deliverance and bringing salvation and ending the evil and the injustice and the villains of this world. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. That's a powerful God coming in destruction, but in deliverance. In fact, we learn this, that God always delivers his people. Look again at the verse. You come out to save your people, to save your people anointed. So again, remember, no matter how things look or feel, God always saves and delivers. Never feel like he's abandoned you or he's not going to work for you or has a plan for you. He does and he will bring deliverance. Finally, there's the verses of praise that Habakkuk has. Let's listen to him sing. He waited on God. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. 
Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Now, this doesn't sound much like praise, does it? <laughs> He's talking about his bones rotting away and everything. But this is his point, is that he has come to the realization that God has a plan, God is going to do it, and now he's going to wait for it to happen. It was terrifying because, again, his people are going to be destroyed, and the nation of Babylon is going to be destroyed. It's a lot of destruction. Again, like I said, it's not a comforting message in that sense, but it's comforting in this sense. God has a plan. He's in control, and it's all going to work out. And therefore, he's going to wait for it to happen. So he waits on the Lord, and then he trusts in the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses in this whole book. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate the Lord. Do you hear that? We would probably read it the exact opposite way. This is how we would read it. Until the fig tree buds and there's fruit on the vines, until the olive crop produces fruit and food, and until the flocks, until the flocks are filled in the pen and there are plenty in the herd, then I will celebrate the Lord. That's how we usually live our life. You know, we'll celebrate God when He does something for us. And when things are going well, then we'll celebrate the Lord. But until then, we're going to whine and complain. And we're going to say God's not doing anything for me and he's not there for me because he hasn't done anything for me. But when he does, then I'll sing a song of praise. Habakkuk is the exact opposite. He says, God, even if you do nothing for me and even if I see around me that everything is terrible. I mean, look at, he's describing an economy that's completely collapsed, or there's starvation. He says, I'm still going to praise you, God. You hear the faith in that statement? To know, again, it's not the circumstances, but it's the God who's in control. We have enough faith and trust in Him that we can look at destruction and starvation and... Destruction, and still praise God. We're not praising Him because there's no food. We're praising Him because He's in control. And we're praising Him because He has a plan. And we're praising Him because He's a good God that has a perfect plan. And we're praising Him because we know He will deliver us and see us through. That's what Habakkuk's praising God for. And that's what we can praise God for and the last verses of this chapter in his song are this. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights with a choir director on stringed instruments. This is his last words. Again, what an attitude adjustment from his first words. His first words were, how long? His last words are, I will rejoice in God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer, enables me to walk on mountain heights. He was down in the valley, now he's up on the mountain heights. 
And he was complaining and now he's rejoicing. He's skipping around like a deer and he's all filled with strength and hope and joy. But this is the amazing thing. Nothing has changed in his circumstances. The nation is still filled with violence. It's still filled with chaos. Nothing about his circumstances has changed one bit. But his attitude has changed completely. Because he heard from God and he focused on God and he saw a powerful, present God who has a perfect plan. Therefore, we can trust in him fully. Paul tells us this. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, make that the verse of this afternoon and this day in your life. Rejoice always, always be talking to God and praying like Habakkuk did and give thanks in everything. This is God's will for us, but more than that, he has a perfect will that he's accomplishing. That's why we can rejoice and give thanks and pray. And let's go to him in prayer now. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your powerful presence in our life. And we thank you that you have a perfect plan for us, the nations in history. So, Father, my prayer is simple. That it would be like Habakkuk's, that we would rejoice and what you have done, and what you will do. I pray especially for anyone this morning whose circumstances seem overwhelming. It seems as though God is not there. It seems as though, God, you're not in control. I pray they would hear this, and it would, this message, and it would bring them hope today. And that you, can, Lord, can turn that, that fear or that sorrow, or that hurt, into joy and faith and trust in you. I pray that now, Lord Jesus, as we sing in response. I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.